please be seated. If Paul ended at verse 3 in Ephesians chapter 2, we would have absolutely no hope. But he doesn't end there. He carries on through verses 4 through 10, which is our focus today. And he tells us that we are very different people in Christ from what we were in sin. And God is the one who makes all the difference. Ave Maria University is a Catholic school in southwest Florida. And it was established in 2003. Tom Monahan, the, the former, uh, well, the founder and former CEO of Domino's Pizza, is the one who funded that university in large part and founded it. And his goal for Ave Maria was to be a Catholic school for Catholic students whose faith was very important to them. And it's interesting what Monaghan said with regards to, to his vision, his, his goal for Ave Maria. He said this in an, in an interview. The reason... God created us was to earn heaven so we could be with him and my goal is to help more people get to heaven. Now just in case you miss what Monahan is saying there, this is what he's saying, that getting to heaven is up to man. Not God but man is the difference maker. And I find that this view that is held by so many in our culture today, and it really has been held by so many throughout church history, is in direct conflict with what the Apostle Paul is teaching here in Ephesians chapter 2. It's in conflict with verses 1 through 3 where the Apostle Paul says that man is totally depraved. And it's also in conflict with verses 4 through 10, which tells us that our salvation is totally dependent and determined by God himself. God is the difference maker between verses 1 through 3 and verses 4 through 10. And today I want us to reflect upon these verses in light of the message from last week as we consider who we are in Christ Jesus. And just as a bit of a reminder from last week, the, the theme was owning who we were, verses 1 through 3, is key to understanding and appreciating all that we have gained and who we are in Christ. And today we'll be looking at what we have gained and who we are in Christ, verses 4 through 10. And we will find that who we are in Christ is very different from who we were. And truly, God is the difference maker. So let's read this passage of Scripture, verses 4 through 10, Ephesians chapter 2. It begins with this little phrase, but God. 
But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let us pray. God, our Father, we humbly come before you asking for the very grace that we'll be talking about, that enabling grace to be shed upon us even as we worship you this morning, that we might hear what you would have for us in this passage that God, Holy Spirit, that you would work it in our hearts and conform us more to, the, to Christ Jesus. Lord, enable us to know even more the glory and wonder and the amazement of saved by grace through faith for good works. We commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our sermon outline this morning is, just follows the, the text as we look at the, the broad heading, we are saved, and then we consider the various parts of this passage that talk, talk about God's saving work. We are saved by grace, point one, through faith, point two, for good works, point three. So first, let's consider that we are saved or we are made, made alive, as the Apostle Paul tells us here in these few verses, by grace. And, and I believe the key expression for this entire, for these entire ten verses is that little phrase that begins verse 4, a contraction and a noun, but God. I mean, just shouts hope. It declares that, that two things are going to be contrasted, that, that are very different. It, it is a little phrase that, that shows forth or that causes us to anticipate that a great reversal is coming about in the following verses. This is a little phrase, but God, but what a glorious life-altering little statement that this is. And I would, I would suggest to us that one way to, to see the, the impact of, of, of this little phrase is to find that everything that is said from the rest of verse 4 all the way to verse 10 is kind of packed into this little phrase, but God. And what we are doing from henceforth in the next few moments is to unpack but God, and to see all that that phrase means to us today. But God has 
acted and he has dealt with the natural state of man being dead in trespasses and sin, only able to live a sinful life, hell-bound in wrath and judgment. So verse 5 tells us God's action. It tells us, but God has made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And when we look at that, that statement, made alive, and then that word grace, by grace you have been saved, and made alive in Christ, they're actually referring to the same thing. We can just consider that to be a statement of God's saving work, saved and made alive. And what's involved with God saving us, God making us alive? We see in the text grace, mercy, and love being explored. Well, let's begin by looking at this. God is a gracious God, isn't he? And the Greek word charis in verse 5 expresses a means by which an action is taken. And what the Apostle Paul is saying here, especially in light of the Greek grammar that is used, is that grace is like a tool or a means in God's hand through which he does this action, this saving work. So think with me for a moment of a carpenter who wants to drive a nail into a board. And the tool that he would take up in his hand to drive that nail in that board would be a hammer. And what an understanding of the Greek grammar and the Greek word charis is that grace is like a hammer in God's hands where he uses it to save, to make alive, to restore, to renovate, to rebuild, to make something or construct something new. A sinner saved by grace in Christ. So that's grace, a tool or a means through which God does this saving work. And then there's mercy. What, the text tells us that God is rich in mercy. Well, what is mercy? I think the best way to understand it, when we're merciful towards someone, we are, we are seeking to alleviate their misery. We have pity for them. And the text tells us in verse 4, that's what God seeks to do. He is a merciful God. He is rich in mercy. He is wealthy in mercy. He has an infinite store of mercy. His mercy is never ceasing. It it's a well that is never emptied of mercy. It has an everlasting capacity that he pities sinners and will never, ever grow tired of showing pity to sinners. God is rich in showing mercy. And then we find in the text that God is also love. And, and Paul says that God's love is great. And how does he show us the greatness of God's love? We, we are shown in, in the text as we look at 
at verse 4, but being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, when we were broken, marred, the only thing we could do is sin, when we were God-haters, when we were objects of his wrath, when we were hell-bound, when we deserved every ounce of God's wrath, when, when we were so displeasing to him, such a disappointment in that state. God shed his love on us. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, there can be no better definition of love than how God has loved us while we were still dead in our trespasses and sin. Well, I don't know. Again, I, don't, I can speak for myself. Even on my good days, I, I have difficulty loving myself. <laughs> um, I'm sure you don't have any difficulty loving me, uh, but, I, but, I, but, but I struggle with it. And there's absolutely no way that I can wrap my little brain around the fact that when I was at my most unlovable state, dead in trespasses and sin, God shed his love on me. Now what that tells me is that God really loves Tim Reed. And what that tells me is that God really loves you if you are his. That he would so love us while we were in the most unlovable condition that we could ever be. And Paul in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 says this, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Love is an action, and God's action is to send his only begotten son to the most unlovable and ill-deserving. That's how much he loves us. So let's put it together. God has placed his great love on those whom he has chosen out of sinful humanity to be here, his. And he did it while they were still in their sin because if he only loved those who had somehow made themselves better, he would never ever have redeeming love for any of us because we can't make ourselves better so he has to love us while we are still in our sin and because he loves us so much and he 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 has pity for us in in the miserable of state of being dead in trespasses of sin only able to sin and an object of his wrath and he pities us so much that he is determined to alleviate our misery. And in order to do that, he has to use the tool of grace where he favors those who do not merit his favor. 
And so he is gracious towards us. And he makes us alive in Christ. And he saves us. Do you see what Paul is doing here? His great love, his rich mercy. And we'll see later Paul describing his grace as his immeasurable grace, kindness in Christ Jesus. And, and, and how is this possible? How is it possible for a dead sinner to be loved by God, pitied by God, favored by God to, to, to such an unbelievable degree? It's because God does something. He brings all of this about. He, he, he makes us alive. He, he saves us because he unites us to Christ. The text talks about that, that we are saved by grace through faith. We, we are in Christ and we are with Christ. He unites us to the Savior. And, and just look at the text. It, it just, the whole passage just screams union with Christ. It's emphasized throughout. That we are made alive together with Christ, verse 5. We are raised with him, verse 6. We are seated with him in heaven, verse 6. We experience the riches of God's grace and kindness towards us in Christ, verse 7. We are created in Christ, verse 10. If but God is a little phrase that's key to this passage, second to it is in Christ. We see it just throughout this entire passage. And then he makes an amazing statement also that he, that he talks about in verse 7, the coming ages where over and over again we experience and show forth the immeasurable riches of God's grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. I mean, like Jesus calling forth Lazarus from the grave. We, we've been made alive. We have a new lease on life in Him, in Christ. And now, because of that, from that point forward, we have a hope-filled future. And Paul speaks of that in the coming ages. We are saved by grace. And in the coming ages, day by day, moment by moment, we are empowered by the very grace that has saved us to live in Christ. We find grace is not only an infinite grace, but it is an amazing grace. It is a never-ceasing flood of grace. It is an incalculable reservoir of grace. And like me, each of us here today have likely reached kind of what we have determined is the end of the rope. We, we, we can't go any further. Life has gotten so difficult. Maybe we're so labored because of our sin or the cares of the world or the cares of family or the cares of finances or the cares of cares just have crushed in upon us and we just can't take another step forward. And God says, remember... I saved you by grace in Christ. You are mine. And there is a fountain of grace that will never empty that is for you. Grace upon grace. Enabling grace. 
superabounding grace that is ours in Christ Jesus. There is no such thing for the Christian being at the end of our rope, not able to take our last step because of the grace of God in Christ Jesus. Listen, Jesus died for us to have it. Let us grasp it by faith. In the coming ages, Paul says, day by day, moment by moment, there is all-sufficient grace for those who are in Christ Jesus. I love that term, superabounding grace. To enliven our walk, to bring power to us living the Christian life by faith. We are very different people in Christ from what we were in sin. We are saved by grace. And God is the difference maker. Well, how can we receive God's grace? We are saved by grace through faith. And as with grace, the, the, the way Paul uses the Greek here is very, very instructive. Dia pestos, through faith. It's a prepositional phrase, and it denotes faith being the instrument or conduit, the pathway, let's think about, through which we receive this, this saving work of God, this action of God in, in showing us favor by uniting us to Christ Jesus and making us alive. And of course, the grace that we receive is through faith as we, as saved people, journey down the road of the Christian life. And the Apostle Paul speaks of, of, of faith being the instrument through which God's grace comes. But notice what he says just after that in verse 8. And this is not your own doing it is the gift of God. And the question is, well, what is the gift of God? Is grace the gift of God or is faith the gift of God? It really doesn't make a great deal of difference uh, how you answer that, that question. What is the gift? And there are many who would say, well, grace is the gift of God. And, and I would suggest to you that, that Monaghan of Ava Maria University and, and even evangelical Christians that have a different view of of the relationship between regeneration and faith might, might, might buy into this. But if we look at grace being the gift, then in effect, what we interpret the Apostle Paul saying, albeit wrongly, is that God's grace is the gift only if we conjure up enough faith. And so the idea is that is that on account of my faith, then God acts by giving me grace. And that is not at all what the text is saying. That is contrary to what the Greek grammar tells us, and certainly what the rest of the scriptures tell us, that the gift is faith, not grace. And so, for example... What God does is that he regenerates us. He gives us a new nature. He deals with that total depravity. He gives us 
He takes that sin nature away and gives us a nature that is in line with him and that seeks him. And then faith is responding to what God has already done. So regeneration comes, then faith, not the other way around. And you may be thinking, well, that doesn't make a whole lot of difference. It makes all the difference in the world. And here it is. Our salvation is either determined by us on account of my faith, God does something. Think about, think about these, these um, you know, so, so many people today have kind of bought in to this health and wealth gospel where if you're struggling, it's because you don't have enough faith. Or if you're not, you know, in, in order to be saved, you, you've got to believe. Now, there's some truth to that. But it is you believe in and of yourself. But the truth is that regeneration comes and faith is a response. I mean, how can a dead person conjure up faith in God? We must have life. And so in verse 9, Paul emphasizes this, that it's, it is not your own doing and then he says in verse 9, not a result of works. It's not a result of our ability. Therefore, none of us can boast that I've done anything that would merit God saving me. Faith is something we do, yes, but it's a response to what God has already done. And it's interesting that as we look at it, even the gift of faith is something that God bestows upon us, even though it is an action. So the good news is this. Let me just explain it th this way. I am so thankful that my salvation is not based on my ability to develop enough faith to inform God, okay, it's, God says it's time for me to act because on account of Tim's faith, I'm going to give this. So you hear this, especially on, on some of these religious channels. If you're sick, it's because you, you don't believe enough. If you're poor, it's because you don't have enough faith. If you're jobless, well, if you just believe more, you might get a job. In other words, on account of what you do, God will then do. And that's not what Paul is saying here at all. That's an error. I mean, where, where is the hope of on account of my faith? There is no hope. The hope is through faith, through the gift of faith. God bestows his love and mercy and grace, even while we were still dead in sin. He, bring, he, he loves us. He brings us out of that sin. He gives us faith. And then we respond. And, and one way for me just simply to understand faith is that, especially with salvation, for, for example, that we hear this time and time again that, that if you want to be saved, then you, you've got to, to ask Jesus to come into your heart. And there is truth to that, but so often it is said from the standpoint of it's not a matter of responding to God. No, you've got to believe so that God will respond to you. 
And yet the way I understand what Paul is saying here, faith, it being a gift, is basically faith is responding to what God has already done in giving a new nature, in shedding his, his love and mercy and grace upon sinners. And, and in a sense, faith, yes, we do repent and we do believe, but it's more getting on board with what God has already done in uniting us to Christ and therefore, there is no room for boasting in self-salvation. And Paul said in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So grace is all of God and faith is all of God at the very foundation. He enables us, He gives it to us, and we respond. Now let me ask you a question. Maybe you're here today, and you may be thinking, well, I've never really truly responded to Jesus in repentance and faith. Maybe you, you are living like Monaghan's view of God created us so that we can earn our way to heaven. And the gospel says, you can't earn your way to heaven. Jesus has earned our way to heaven. And that what I require is for you to respond in truly repenting of sin and trusting in Jesus. And if you're here today and you're not sure about what your relationship with Jesus is and you're really concerned about your sin, you're really concerned about the fact that you may be going to hell, you're really concerned about the sinful lifestyle that you have and you really do want to get right with God, that's a good indication that God is working in your life. And the good news for you is that all he says is respond to what I'm already doing in repentance and faith. Dear brothers and sisters, that is good news for sin-soaked sinners. And what purpose might there be for salvation? We are very different people in Christ from what we were in sin. We are saved by grace through faith. And God is the difference maker, but he's also the difference maker in this third point, that we've been saved for good works Notice in verse 10 that, that Paul uses uh, creation language. It's really beautiful what, what Paul does here in, in this verse. And in fact, we, we, we might say that, that verse 10, that statement created in Christ Jesus, is, is really a beautiful summary of all that he said in verses 1 through 9. Just, just packed in to this one saying, a saying that God saves by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, created in Christ Jesus, really is a great summary for, for that truth. We are redeemed, we are created, we are made alive, we are recreated, we are restored in Christ. And then Paul says that in verse 10 that we are God's workmanship, and again I want to go to the Greek language because it's so instructive, is that the Greek word that's translated workmanship 
is the very Greek word that is part of the derivation of our word, English word, for poem. Pima. And think of a poet who beautifully creates a poem. And that really is the sense of the verse here in verse 10, that, that God is this poet that is creating this beautiful poem, this dead sinner who has been brought to life in Christ Jesus is God's poem. Now, I have trouble reading the Psalms because I just don't get poetry. I can't write poetry. I find it very difficult to understand poetry. It's, it's a flaw. I know you're surprised I have flaws, but it's a flaw with me. But God is telling me, Tim, you may not be able to understand poetry. You may not be able to put uh, four words together in poetic form, but you are my poem. And if you're in Christ Jesus, you are too. You're God's workmanship, made alive in Christ Jesus. And notice the emphasis here. God created. Think of God in Genesis <clears throat> chapters 1 and 2 as the creation account is described there. And God the creator comes and he, and he takes that dust, that inanimate dust uh, from the ground and he forms the first man out of it. But, but that, that first man is still a lifeless form, just a clay figure. And then God, God the Holy Spirit, the Ruha, breathes life into that clay figure. And there's animation. There's life. And Paul wants us to see salvation, God making us alive in Christ Jesus, God creating us in Christ Jesus being the same thing. Taking a lifeless, dead sinner and reforming that dead sinner and breathing life, the Spirit, and bringing about a new creation a spiritual life. That's what Paul is telling us here in this passage. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, says Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Paul shows us that we are very different people in Christ from who we were in sin. Everything is new. And there's life. There's animation and life towards God. And one of the most amazing things about this passage if you look at verse 2, the Apostle Paul says the person who is dead in trespasses walks in sin. Look at verse 2. You see the action of that, that person walking or living in relation to their nature, dead in trespasses. 
And he ends this passage in verse 10 by contrasting something totally new. That the person that once walked as a spiritually dead man, only able to sin, now walks in verse 10 as a new man in Christ Jesus walking in the good works that God has prepared beforehand. Look at the contrast that Paul draws here. We are different from the way we were in sin. We are new and we are recreated to walk in a way that pleases God, that glorifies God, that perseveres us by doing those good works that God has ordained beforehand that we might walk in them. And there's much to say here about, about good works, but I'll save that for a later date. My main goal is for us to see God as the difference maker, who we were and who we are in Christ. And I think one of the best descriptions of this is a illustration that I've, that I've used before. And in, um, in 1998, the, the city fathers of Odessa, Ukraine, sold an old historic building to the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, which is, which is the PCA in Ukraine. And our PCA brothers in Ukraine were going to use this and and remodel it to be a church there in Odessa, Ukraine, an evangelical Presbyterian Reformed church. And so as the, as the church was, was given to this, this group of believers, this, this young denomination, they, they began to research it and work on it, and lo and behold, they found that in 1914 it was originally built as a Reformed church in Odessa, Ukraine. And then the communists came in. Of course, they eradicated every vestige of Christianity, including taking out all of the stuff in this church and turning it into a puppet theater and who knows what else. And so for years, it just sat in disrepair. And as they were beginning to renovate this church, they noticed that the entryway uh, had about an inch of grime on it, and they began to clean that floor and you just won't believe what they discovered. They discovered a beautiful terrazzo floor, just from an artistic or design point of view, beautiful. But right in the middle of the design was a cross. In 2001, that church was dedicated to the worship of God. Adam was created by God to worship God, to glorify God, and to enjoy Him forever forever and he sinned and we've been paying the price for that all these years but God's love mercy and grace makes us alive in Christ and restores that marred broken sinner to a life where more and more he or she pleases God, brings glory to God, worships God. 
and the fact the renovation project in that old historic building in Odessa, Ukraine, so powerfully communicates to me the transforming work that God brings about in our lives when he unites us to Christ Jesus. We're new. And our purpose is to worship God, to bring glory to God, and to be about those good works that persevere us that God has ordained. And dear brothers and sisters, may we endeavor to live consistent with who we are. We are different people from the people we were in sin. We're in Christ, and God is the one who has made all the difference. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, work in us to remind us of your grace, all that we have gained and who we are in Christ. Father, we thank you that because of your grace, because of that little phrase, but God, we are new people And may we bring you much glory. May we worship you. May we walk in the good works that you've ordained for us. That we would show forth the immeasurable riches of your grace and kindness in Christ Jesus to one another and to this world. That we would not boast, but that we would boast in the cross and that you would get all the glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.